Welcome to the King's Word Bible Study. Today our topic is going to be Peter's Philos. Let's begin today in John chapter 21. John chapter 21, beginning in the 11th verse, says, Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, a hundred and fifty and free. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples does ask him, Who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus then cometh and taketh bread, and giveth them, and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples, after that he was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. We find a fascinating encounter here between Jesus and Peter. We find here that Jesus asked Peter three times if he loved him. But there's more to this than meets the eye. In English translations, this appears at first glance to be the same question and answer each time. But it's actually not. There's an important difference. The difference comes from the Greek words used. In Greek, there's four different words used for love. Eros is sexual love. Philos is love between a friend or family. Storge has to do with family love, but more as it relates to devotion. And agape is the unconditional, self-sacrificial love of God. We don't have that in English. We just have one catch-all phrase that applies to anything and everything that we love. It covers all forms and degrees of love. The problem with this is that it robs from the passage its original meaning. It also robs it of its specificity, which in turn robs people of the understanding that they could have otherwise had. We don't love God the same way that we do our family. We don't love our family the same way that we do our friends. We don't love our spouse the same way that we love our neighbor. Love isn't black and white. It's far more nuanced than that. There's shades and degrees of it, and the Greek does a far better job of expressing those than the English translations do. The first two times, Jesus was asking Peter if he loved him with agape love. That's the type of love that he should have had for Jesus. That's the type of love that we're all called to love God with. But that's not how Peter responded. Peter said that he loved him with philos love. He loved him as a friend, maybe even like family, but he wasn't willing to say that he loved him with unconditional, self-sacrificial love. After Jesus asked twice, he then asked Peter, Do you philos me? Then Peter said, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I philos you. This is an important change. The Lord was trying to elevate Peter, but when Peter wouldn't receive what the Lord was offering to him, Jesus came down to Peter's level. Jesus was looking for agape love from him, but Peter was only willing to offer philos love. We can learn something from this. The first thing that we can learn from this, and the most noticeable thing that sticks out from it, is that Jesus was looking for agape love, but Peter wasn't. Peter just wanted philos love, and when prompted to come up higher and agape love the Lord, he deferred and refused to budge. Peter was perfectly content to love him like a friend or like family, but he wasn't willing to go any deeper. The devil wants this passage to be misunderstood. The devil doesn't want people to see the difference in the types of love being referred to. Because if we saw for what it really said, like we're looking at now, we would find something unsettling, which is that it wasn't just Peter who did this. Countless Christians are doing this today too. It doesn't happen in the exact same scenario. It's not said in the exact same words. Maybe it's not even spoken in words at all. 
but the essence of it is the same. Jesus is looking for agape love from his people, but many, even when they become aware of this, aren't willing to give agape back. They'll give philos, but they won't go beyond that. They desire a relationship with the Lord the same way he desires to have one with them, but they don't want it to go too deep. Why won't they give agape, though? What is it that's such a stumbling block to so many people? If Peter, one of the disciples, who had physically been with Jesus, spoken to him, and seen all he did, could experience this resistance to agape, we can be absolutely sure that many of us who haven't seen him would feel the same way. In order to understand this mindset, we have to understand what agape really is and what it calls for. Agape is unconditional, self-sacrificial love. Verse 15 in the classic Amplified says, When they had eaten, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these others do, with reasoning, intentional, spiritual devotion, as one loves the Father? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you, that I have deep, instinctive, personal affection for you, as for a close friend. He said to him, Feed my lambs. The first half of this verse in the regular Amplified Bible says, So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these others do? with total commitment and devotion? These translations offer us a more in-depth glimpse into what we're actually dealing with. These are the elements that stop people from going beyond philos in their relationship with the Lord. The first thing is that it's unconditional. People don't want love to be unconditional. The natural mind doesn't like this because the natural mind looks for conditions. It looks for reasons why they should love someone. They want their logic, their reasoning, their experience to convince them which really means that they want the other person to convince them why they deserve their love. They're looking for reasons why they shouldn't love or can love someone. They look to words, to actions. They look to perceive wrongs and try to find something that justifies a lack of love because the natural carnal mind isn't inclined to love, at least not to love someone else or to love God. All the carnal mind is inclined to love is itself and nothing more. Everything else it loves has some direct relation or link to the self. The biggest reason why people don't want unconditional love is because there's no exit, there's no escape hatch, there's no way to conveniently justify and excuse ourselves from loving someone else when in our mind it becomes too burdensome or that person becomes too overbearing. True love is costly, which is why it's rare, and why where it is found in its true full agape form, it should be coveted and cherished greatly. True love costs time, it costs energy, effort, maybe it has a financial price, an emotional price, maybe a spiritual price, and when people count the cost of that, not wanting to pay, all those conditions, all those flaws that are all too evident to the natural eye can easily be blown out of proportion and used as a justification to not love them with agape love. People do this with God too. They think of some time when they feel that God wronged them or ignored them. They think of something that God did that they didn't agree with and then use that as a faulty foundation for a lack of agape. The next thing is that agape calls for a total commitment. People don't want this today either. They really don't want any commitment at all because just by nature of what it is would mean that it entails responsibility, dedication, and devotion, none of which they're willing to give. If they do have to commit, they want to keep that commitment minimal or partial at best. In the minds of many people, total commitment is totally out of the question. And like Peter, they won't budge from that position. Total commitment is asking for too much. They want to leave room for their cares and their wants, which even though in a full total commitment to God, all those cares and wants would be perfectly taken care of and more so, their natural mind doesn't see it that way. And it's their natural inclination to their own selfish desires that prevents them from moving past their own self. That's too much time to devote 
too much energy, too much money. They don't want that level of devotion. They don't want that long-term lifetime commitment. They want to be free to go in and out, which means that they want to be free to use God when it's convenient for themselves and not take any thought for Him when it's something that He wants or He desires. We see these people in the natural all the time. They're the ones in relationships who are controlling, asking for everything and giving nothing in return. They're narcissistic people who want the other person there, but not because that person wants to be there, only because they want them there. They don't take thought for others, and people do the same in the spiritual with God. The self, under the influence of the enemy, portrays a distorted image of what total commitment actually looks like in the life of the believer, and that distorted image is taken as a fact, leading to a person being unwilling to go beyond philos. The last thing that agape calls for is self-sacrifice, which as we've spoken about many times before, is something that the human heart is inclined against. Sacrifice means that something is lost and forfeited, and the natural mind wants the opposite, and wants to gain and accrue, and wants to continually lay up more and more, while nothing is lost. But agape is antithetical to that, so they want nothing to do with it. They're fine with God sacrificing on their behalf, but they're not willing to do the same for Him. This keeps them from desiring to agape love Him. Philos is the opposite of all these things. Philos is instinctive, it's natural, and almost automatic after being around someone for a long enough period of time. But agape is intentional, it's spiritual, it's a choice that has to be knowingly made. Philos is conditional, it's non-committal, it's in many cases temporary, and it's transactional. Many friends and even family members come in and out of our lives. They're there sometimes and not there at other times, which makes Philos love more fluid. It comes and goes. It's not necessarily permanent and forever, like agape is meant to be. Having Philos for the Lord doesn't mean that you don't actually have a relationship with Him. It doesn't mean that you don't actually love Him. These people do, but they limit how deep they can go with God. God wants to open up to them all the treasuries of His wisdom and knowledge. He wants to open up to them spiritual mysteries. He wants to show them the deepest steps of His love for them. But they just want to scratch the surface. The worst part of Philos is that it leaves no room for intimacy. Intimacy is something that God desires to have with us. This term has been corrupted by the world. It's been distorted and twisted to mean something that it's not meant to convey. When people hear intimacy, they almost invariably think of it in sexual terms which is a portion of it, but only a portion. It's much more than just that. Intimacy calls for all the same things as agape. It's meant to be unconditionally based. It's based on a total commitment for each other. It's based on devotion for each other. And it's rooted in a desire and willingness for each person to sacrifice for the other. Intimacy isn't something outside of agape. It's not separate from it. It's the manifestation of agape. It's the deepest demonstration of it. But the devil has weakened this term and turned it into a false counterfeit of what it was really meant to be. We should desire to intimately know God. We should desire for our relationship with Him to continually grow deeper. But that won't happen if we only feel us Him. It only happens when we yield to agape and make a total, unconditional commitment to Him. Let's go to Luke chapter 15. In Luke chapter 15, Beginning in the 17th verse, it says, And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him, and had compassion, and ran, and fell on his neck, and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. 
But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead, and is alive again. He was lost, and is found. And they began to be merry. Here we find a portion of the parable of the prodigal son. This parable is meant to represent how God interacts with us, the sinner. We're all the prodigal son. Before we were saved, we were all running from God, running from commitment, running from devotion and sacrifice. But God waited for us to come home. He was patient. He was compassionate. He was loving, just like He always is and always will be. We find something important in the 20th verse. It said, And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Although the son who represents us spent so much time running away from him, when he came home, the father who represents God ran towards him. This is what God does. This is how deeply he desires intimacy with us. He's running towards us with arms outstretched, wanting to do just like he did with the prodigal son. He wants to give us all the best of what he has. He wants to give us everything that belongs to him. He wants us to be with him in his house. If we continue to only want to feel us him, that would be like the prodigal son returning home and refusing to go inside the house or refusing to wear the robe or put on the ring. That would be foolish. And not only would it be foolish of him, it would be insulting to the father because the father is freely offering those things to him, even after all the insult, injury, and harm that he had caused him. That's how it is when we limit our relationship with the Lord. Just like if we were to express our love to a friend, wanting to go beyond friendship, and they reject us, it would hurt. And when the Lord expresses His desire to go deeper with us, and we refuse, that's a form of rejection. We're rejecting His offer. We're saying we want to be friends and nothing more. We're not looking for any more of a relationship. Everyone knows what that looks like in the natural, but it's rare that we look at it like that in the spiritual sense. But nevertheless, that's what it is. God does want to be friends. He does want to be our Father. He does want to be our Creator. But He also wants to be more than just these individual roles. He wants to be our everything. He wants to be our all in all. And that can't happen without intimacy. Knowing that He desires this, the ball is in our court. What are we going to do with that knowledge? Are we going to allow Him to elevate us, to bring us up to that stage of agape love? Or are we just going to do what so many do today and reject Him like Peter did? We have to choose agape, which will manifest itself in intimacy. The meaning of the word agape in Greek expresses this. The concordance says, With the believer, it means actively doing what the Lord prefers, with Him, by His power and direction. True agape is always defined by God, a discriminating affection which involves choice and selection. It's Christ living His life through the believer. This is far beyond philos, is far beyond storge, and is far beyond eros. This is the most complete, fullest form of love there is, and this is why God desires this from us. 1 John 4 and 8 says, He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. God is love. God is the personification, the manifestation, and the fullest expression of agape. 1 John 4 and 16 says, And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. When God asks us to love him with agape love, He's not really asking for as much as the natural mind would have us to think. He's within us. We've already invited him in. And since he's dwelling within us, agape is dwelling within us. All he's asking for is for us to allow that agape to rise to the surface and appear both in our daily lives and in our walk with him. So what if we feel like we don't agape him? What if we feel like Peter, like we only love him as a friend, that our relationship is only on the surface level? 
What do we do? How do we do this? What does it look like in real life? It looks like what the definition said. It looks like Christ living his life through us, which for us means yielding and submitting to his plan and will for our life, which is what we should be doing anyway. It means that we choose his choices, allowing our minds to become like his, so that our way of thinking can be like his, and actively doing his will, so that his way of acting can become ours also. We can't do this on our own. It's not within our human ability. It can only be done by the Holy Spirit working in us to bring about that change. But once we're submitting to his power and will, we'll find that we can't help but love with agape. The last thing that we need to note about this is that since agape is within us right now, it's the easiest and most logical option to allow that agape to rise to the surface level. It's far more complicated for some other type of love to usurp agape's place and then manifest. But nevertheless, we find that with philos. Why is that? If these Christians who won't love with more than philos have agape in their spirit, why won't they go beyond philos? The answer, and one of the worst parts of only loving with philos, is that it's the suppression of the agape within. This is important, because if we suppress something, we do it knowingly. We're conscious of the act of suppression, because it requires force and effort to be exerted. People have to withhold agape. They have to afford it by making the choice to only philos love God, which means that their carnal mind is asserting itself. It means that the flesh is asserting control over their spirit. Through this inversion of God's design, the enemy keeps people back from having a deep, substantial walk with God by deceiving them into thinking that they have that when they really don't. Their spirit wants to agape love, but their flesh doesn't want to. The second half of Matthew 26 and 41 says, The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. This is a manifestation of that verse. We can't let the devil lead us to think that philos can supplant agape in our life. We can't buy into the lie that loving God with philos love is enough. It's not. We'll still have a relationship if we do, but it'll be a weak, stagnant, transactional relationship where true love and intimacy can't be found. This is why we find so many weak, stagnant, ineffective, powerless Christians today. They're not going deeper with God. They're settling for less, and they're rejecting and refusing God's offer for more. God wants intimacy. The offer is there. He's running towards you to embrace you. Don't do what Peter did. Don't say, why don't we just be friends? Make the total commitment. Make the sacrifice. Be willing to lose your soul in order to find it. Be willing to let Christ live through you, yielding to the agape within. And when we do, it will make a difference. People will notice the change. It won't be something that we can hide. It'll be plain for all to see, which is by design. John 13.35 says, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. We're known by our love. That's one of our most important and prevalent marks of distinction. If we don't allow our agape to rise to the surface, then we're hiding that mark. We're hiding what makes us special. We're hiding the light that God is trying to shine through us towards others. Our agape is what draws others to God. So when we suppress that agape with philos, we're not just harming ourselves. We're also robbing others of the blessings of God. Our love for others should be even more motivation to yield to agape. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for your agape love. We thank you that you demonstrated to us through your Son. And then now, since we've seen it demonstrated, we're free to do it ourselves. We thank you that you sent your Son to live the life that we couldn't live, to die the death that we should have died, to pay the price that we couldn't pay. Lord, we thank you that through your Holy Spirit, you put agape within us. Lord, help us to have the understanding to allow that agape to rise to the surface. Lord, we thank you that our agape won't just be to our own benefit, 
but that it will be like a light shining forth to those around us, that they'll see the love that we have for them and be drawn to you, and that they'll see that they need to go to you to find the agape, to find that true, real love that they've been looking for their whole life only in you. Lord, we ask that you help us to guard our minds and hearts against the lies of the enemy that try to tell us that Philo's love for you is enough. Lord, it's not. Lord, we want agape you. We want to have the fullest, truest form of love for you that we possibly can. And Lord, we thank you that you're continually guiding us through your spirit so that our relationship with you can continually grow deeper and more intimate as time goes on. Lord, we thank you that just like the prodigal son's father, you're running towards us to embrace us with compassion and love. And Lord, today we want you to know that we love you with agape, and we're thankful for all that you've done for us. Lord, we give you all the honor, all the glory, and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you want to love the Lord with agape love and have Jesus as a part of your life today, all you need to do is to invite Jesus into your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior. You then need to repent of your sins and ask for his forgiveness. Then you trust that you've been forgiven and you ask for his free gift of eternal life. Now, if you prayed this from a sincere heart and you truly meant it, then you are now a part of the family of God. Welcome to God's family. We want to thank everybody for listening today. We appreciate you taking out your time to spend with us. If you'd like to give us feedback and tell us how much you appreciate this show, you can contact us at kingswordbiblestudy at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about this program and this ministry, you can visit kingswordbible.com. We appreciate also if you write a review from wherever you're listening to this podcast from. And if you follow and subscribe, so that more people can hear the King's Word for themselves. God bless you. We want you to know that we love you all. And we will see you next week as we continue to study the King's Word together.